Uh, I think I speak for uh, I think I speak for Kristen, excuse me, when uh, I say we're honored and, and so glad that we were asked to be a part of this. Um, one, of the, one of the reasons I love uh, thinking about talking about Celtic Christianity, Celtic spirituality, is because, uh, and, and especially in this context, is that I feel like part of what the Open Table is and part of what Thousand and One New Worshiping Communities does is it helps launch different kind of Celtic communities of worship all over the country. Um, the word Celtic is sometimes ascribed to a, a people group, um, but really it's more of a general phrase that could be used. People who were not part of the Roman Empire, uh, who were kind of heathen or local tribes people, could be generally called Celtic people. And so Celtic people could be found in different parts of Europe. But as the Roman Empire grew, um, the Celts kind of got pushed into the very upper left-hand corner, uh, which ended up being Scotland and Ireland. And so one of the interesting things also about our, this convergence um, that Wendy was talking about is that the Presbyterian Church, our denomination, actually comes out of the Scottish tradition. And so over there on the wall, you will see a cross, which is one of the older crosses that was a part, has been a part of this congregation. This congregation has been around since 1865. Um, Second Presbyterian Church was actually founded as a, a group of seven women and three men who left First Presbyterian Church in 1865 over the issue of slavery to be a anti-slavery church um, and, uh, and started downtown. And that's one of the crosses they've carried around to the different places they've been. And it, one of the things that's interesting about a Celtic cross is it in, has kept incorporated within it the symbol of the sun and the moon in the background because Celtic spirituality, Celtic Christianity kind of existed before right, before the homogenous Roman narrative came along and said, this is what it means to be a Christian. And the Celts, who were at that time in, in Northern Scotland and Ireland, said, yeah, we get it. We understand that. And they, they kind of wove their Celtic spirituality into Christianity and became this wonderful hybrid uh, that to this day still incorporates uh, kind of the God of the sun and the moon creation along with, along with the Christian symbol. So um, I, I love talking about this, and um, I'm also a, a history major. And so real quickly, that's, that's, um, that's the Roman Empire, right? And so in the way upper left-hand corner, you see there's Ireland and Scotland. Um, and anybody know the name of the wall that the Romans built at the top of England before you get into Scotland? Right? So they, they <laughs> built Hadrian's Wall, uh, because they basically were like, you know, just screw it. We're not going to deal with these, these Celts and these Highlanders who keep like raiding and having, so we're just going to build a wall there. Um, and they didn't really try to settle that area anymore. Well, St. Columba, who was a guy who ended up being a slave, um, he went, had to go to, to, to Rome as a slave. He got away, he came back to Ireland, and then he went to Scotland, and he brought Christianity, a different kind of Christianity, before uh, Roman Catholicism got there. And so Celtic Christianity is one of these forms of spirituality that grew up in the margins. It was a tribal spirituality that then incorporated aspects of Christianity that, that merged well with who they were. And so there's just this lovely earthiness uh, to Celtic spirituality that I love, very tribalness to it. Um, so that, that's one of the reasons why Celtic Christianity is a little bit, is a little bit different. Um, but how it kind of grew up and, and how that manifests itself, I'm going to let, um, let Kristen tell you a little bit about that. 
Um, so as Paul mentioned, Celtic spirituality was really shaped by its location and land, by the local customs and practices of the people who were there even before Christians came to kind of Christianize that area. And I think it's really important that we talk about Celtic spirituality and spirituality that comes from the land up because it really disrupts that narrative that there's only one type of Christianity. Often when we talk about Western Christianity, we talk about a meta-narrative of the way that traditions and doctrines and theologies have been formed. Um, when we stop to look at Celtic spirituality and other indigenous forms of spirituality, we recognize that there are many different ways to worship and to engage in community. Um, kind of like what the Open Table is doing in 1001, worshiping communities to say, how do you create space for people to come together? And, what, and that can look different in, lo in different locations. Um, there are a lot of different aspects of Celtic spirituality, but I'm just going to touch on three really briefly today. One is a uh, Celtic understanding of creation in the natural world, which Paul kind of alluded to. The second is this understanding that all things are sacred. There's no divide between the sacred and secular. And the third thing that we're gonna be talking about is thresholds. Um, does anyone know what a threshold is? Yeah, someone go ahead and shout it out. Yeah, like a crossing. Um, and since many of you are here for the residency program, which is kind of that time of transition and crossing, we're gonna spend most of our time talking about that today. Um, but to get started, so creation in the natural world. And um, one of the things that I loved about Celtic spirituality when I started kind of learning about it was the special connection between creation and creator. Um, I went to seminary, um, it was great. I learned a lot, mostly from books. Um, but when I wasn't studying, most of my time was spent running along Lake Michigan. If I wanted to connect with God, I didn't go to the library, I went out into the world. One of the things that Celtic spirituality talks about is that there's not just one place where God reveals God's self. Um, this uh, Scottish or this Irish guy, who's an Irish monk in the ninth century, and I'm going to butcher his last name, but let's go with it. John Scotus Eregina. What do you guys think? Does that pass? Good enough. All right. Um, he taught that there were two different books of Revelation, that we can understand how God reveals God's self in the world through the book of Scripture, but also through the book of creation. What I love about this is it holds both scripture and tradition in one hand, but also says that we experience God through our experiences, through stepping out and seeing creation, seeing how the world is created in our place within it. There's something about that if you see a sunrise, right, or even with all the rain that we've been having, that makes you realize that you are part of something more. Um, and Celtic spirituality really emphasizes that. The other thing that Celtic spirituality really emphasizes is um, panentheism. Has anyone ever heard of this before? It's kind of a big word. We got a couple of folks out there. Yeah. So um, pan means all. So all, n is in, and theism is in God. So it's this understanding that all of creation, all of the universe, all of the world exists within God, and yet God is also beyond, that God is also kind of bigger than all of that. And what I love about this, um, it's John Philip Newell, who's kind of this uh, fam uh, famous kind of um, guy who worked at, uh, why am I blanking on it, Iona, thank you. Um, and he talks about how in Celtic spirituality, a lot of it is focused on listening for the heartbeat of God. That in everything, in every part of creation, there is a heartbeat of God that is there, and yet we are also held in God's heart. Um, so the second part of Celtic spirituality that I think is really interesting is this understanding that there is no kind of dualistic thinking. So often in the church, we'll talk about kind of what's secular and what's sacred. So it is sacred if we celebrate communion, if it's said by a priest or a pastor as part of worship, but then what you're doing around a table is not necessarily 
uh, sacred, it's secular. Um, Celtic spirituality really breaks that down and says everything is holy. God is experienced in the everyday and the common. Um, what, what matters is how do you approach that? Are you able to see the divine in every interaction? And so I think that's a really beautiful way of thinking about how do we approach the world? Are we looking for the divine in every place? So this is a quote from Esther Duvall, and she writes, the Celtic approach to God opens up a world in which nothing is too common to be exalted, and nothing is so exalted that it cannot be made common. So this idea, again, that whether you're washing dishes or having a conversation with a friend, that God is present in all of that. And then thirdly, the third kind of part of Celtic spirituality that we're going to focus on tonight is this idea of thresholds and liminal spaces. So as some of you mentioned, thresholds are markers of transition. There's those spaces that are in between. They mark different rhythms of life. They're frontiers of different ways of being. Um, and they can be physical. They can be part of our imagination or metaphorical crossings. And for most of us, I don't know, is anyone else a planner out there? Anyone else? A couple of folks? So yeah, get shit done. There we go. <laughs> so for a lot of us, right, there's some type of you know, way that we want to see our lives going. And we want to rush to the next thing. And there's Celtic, in the Celtic tradition, there's an understanding that there is wisdom at those times of threshold. It takes a lot of courage to stay in those spaces where you're in between, where one thing has ended and the next hasn't begun. Um, but what they really call on us to do, oh, and you can see, let me go back. Um, so for thresholds, you can see this in the natural world. So if you think about the solstices and equinox, if you, if you think about dusk and dawn, there are these thresholds, these places of change that are all around us. Um, so thresholds are not where we've been and not yet where we're going. And in the Celtic tradition, as well as in other, uh, other spiritual practices, um, there's this practice of stasia, which is pausing before the next thing. So when you are in a space of the unknown, when you are in a space of transition, rather than just saying, how do I get to the next thing? They say there is wisdom if you can hold that space and wait. If you can be vulnerable enough to say, what is happening? What does courage look like? How do I hold um, space for the world to speak to me? I realize as, as Kristen is talking about all that, I, feel, I felt a little bit of anxiety uh, creeping into my life because um, I was brought up, and as many of you probably were too, um, in this idea that, that your life and how you go through life is supposed to look like this. Um, <laughs> You, you learn, you might have a couple of ups and downs in there, but basically you progress, you get better, you succeed, and this is the way that life should go uh, in, in that direction. Um, uh, and so when it's not going in that direction, which is mostly most days or at least every other day, uh, we tend to get kind of anxious about that. Why isn't my life progressing the way that somehow the textbook told me that it was supposed to progress? Um, so e even in talking about this, uh, I'm, I'm thinking, gosh, I just love Celtic Christianity because it says... Um, that those spaces where you are experiencing the unknown, rather than rush through them or try to jump to the next thing, um, you need to recognize that as holy space and to believe that creative things can happen there that can't happen uh, there. Um, and, I'll, and I'll just give you an example from my own life. Three years ago, uh, in, in, in our tradition, in our, um, in our Presbyterian tradition, in, in most churches I've been a part of, uh, somewhere in, in the tenure of a pastor or somewhere around the six-year mark, typically you get a sabbatical, anywhere from two to three to four months or something like that, where you get to kind of disappear and work, study, rest, whatever, and come back. 
Um, the first two churches that I served, I served both of them for a little over six years, and their policy was at six years you get a sabbatical. Well, the, the silly thing that I did is I took the next job before I got to my sabbatical. And so by the time I got to Second Presbyterian Church, I had served for 18 years and never had more than a week or so break at a time. And realized that at that point, one of the things I had done to myself is I was, not only was my tank empty, uh, I had been trying to give to people out of that empty tank for about three or four years uh, to the point where I was just done. I was done. And so when I took my sabbatical, I can tell Kristen this now, one of the reasons I was able to take my sabbatical is because we got this really super associate pastor to come on board. And, um, and I said to the personnel committee, I said, if, if she's as good as we think she is and she's here for a year, can I take my sabbatical and just put her in charge? And they said, all right. And so Kristen was great. And about six months into her time here, I said, Kristen, I'll let, I'll let you know I'm going on my sabbatical. And she, and she took over and did a great job. Um, I went into that liminal time basically not thinking. I, I didn't know if I was going to come back. Um, ministry and, and trying to be all the things that you want to be for other people. The reason you go into ministry is because you want to love people and care about people. You care about justice. And, those, and when, you, when you pour yourself out for years and years and years in a row, and, and for some of you who've done these kind of jobs, and you don't get a whole lot of praise or affirmation back, in fact, you get a lot of criticism or questions back, it, it, it wears on you. And I didn't know if I was going to come back. And I got some really good advice from some people about how to use that three-month liminal space. And I ended up taking a trip around the country and meeting with some of my lifelong friends and I sent them three questions ahead of time. I said, I'm going on sabbatical this summer. Here's three questions I want you to think about in terms of my life and who I am and how you know me to be. And all I'm, I'm gonna buy the beer, I'm gonna show up at your house and, and we're gonna drink and you're gonna talk to me and you're gonna reflect back on my life. I want you to think about these things. It was the most sacred three months that I had experienced in quite some time. Um, and I was able to hold that space and to allow the Spirit of God to speak to me in the midst of that anxiety, that depression, that worn outness, and, um, and was met in amazing ways by God and actually realized I still believed in God, um, that the Spirit of God was still at work in my life, and that I was still called to ministry. And that wouldn't have happened if I had just kind of jumped ship or if I had gone on to the next thing. So that's my personal testimony as to why honoring those liminal spaces is so important and why they can be uniquely generative. Just real quickly, um, this is actually how life goes, right? You've got starting points, you grow, things improve, whatever, and, and then they start to die um, after they stabilize. And that's okay, because death is okay. Um, but the problem is, it, in, in my worldview, it's not okay. You've got to somehow quickly move into life again. But usually what you need to do is you need to allow this circle to happen. You need to allow some things to die. And then it might even feel like you're going backwards for a while before you find the rhythm again and then you move on to the next. And that might take three months. It might take three years. Um, but those spaces and then future up here where you're not following that natural trajectory, at least what you've been told is a natural trajectory, can feel very weird. Uh, it can feel backwards. It can feel like a failure. And, and you, if you listen to kind of the, the common knowledge of our Western culture, it'll tell you that, yeah, you're, um, uh, you're weak or, or, or you're, not, you're not following the trajectory you should be. So we don't like this, although that's what life is. And, and a lot of what Celtic Christianity has been helpful for me is to honor those spaces and to recognize that unique generative creative things can happen there that can't happen uh, when you're on the line. One of the reasons that we don't like those spaces 
um, is because our brains don't like those spaces. So just some real quick um, brain science for you here. That's our brains, okay? Um, and the different parts of the brain, the, the most underdeveloped or the most reptilian, the earliest parts of our brain, they believe, are, are right down in the cortex, right in the, in the core there, in the amygdala and the hippocampus. Uh, the hippocampus is the area of your brain that figures out where things go and how you get from one place to another. It's called mapping or storytelling. It, it figures out how, that's why when you are in your, na your neighborhood or in your home city, you don't have to look at a map every time you're driving from one place to the next. Your hippocampus just kicks in and you just, you know, that's why you don't have to think about, oh, where's my toothbrush or what? Your hippocampus is this fantastic thing that remembers maps, it remembers stories, and it allows you to flow through life on those things. The amygdala is the, the part of your brain that's kind of responsible for like, oh, it's the oh shit part of your brain. It's like, oh shit, and your amygdala then kicks in at that point. And it saves your life if there's a tiger that's coming and all of a sudden you've got to be able to have a, a burst of energy to your limbs, and, but it, it typically leaves your, the rest of your body at that point. So those two parts of the body uh, don't do very well with liminal spaces and in between spaces. When we step through thresholds in life, when we go from one phase of life to the next, I've got two people in my family one graduating high school, one graduating college, and like, what's gonna be next? I have no freaking idea, because I've never done it before. And, and it's scary, and I don't know if it's gonna go this way. When we step through thresholds and we get into a new setting, what our hippocampus does is it automatically likes to look for familiar signs to reorient itself. And what it'll do is even if it's in a place that it's never been before, it will try to pull back old maps and stories and apply them to the current place. Has this ever happened to you? Like you come up out of a subway station or you come and you go, oh, I know where I am. And like, oh no, I don't know where I am. But that's because your hippocampus was just like applying an old map on top of a confused setting. It'll do it not just spatially, but it'll do it relationally. Your hippocampus just wants to make sense of what's going on. So when you're scared, you're out of step, you've walked through a new threshold, your hippocampus jumps into gear and says, no, I got it. I know where you are, even if you don't know where you are. Um, it, it, it's the part of your brain that writes maps and tells stories. Um, but if your hippocampus is like, okay, actually I don't know what's going on and the old maps don't work, then what I do is I'd be afraid because as social creatures, if you don't know where you are and you don't know who your tribe is and you don't know what you're doing next, then yeah, you could get killed by a tiger or you could wander off and, and die of starvation or whatever. That's what we are as social beings in our brains. And so if, if nothing is familiar, then you should be afraid and then what your amygdala does is it just dumps a shit ton of adrenaline into your system and says, run, right? Even if there's nothing to run from. And that's why even when you start thinking about change, you, you can start to get anxious. Anxiety can be produced in your system because your body's saying, I don't understand what's happening here. I'm scared. Um, and so you either, um, you want to fight. And, and some of us are, those, are fighters and we just start to fight. Some of us just start to run and some of us freeze. And, and that's what happens when we get in these unknown places. Um, the thing is that the whole idea of remapping or transformation, writing a new story for a new time, takes time. And as long as your amygdala is dumping adrenaline into your system and you're listening to that, and either you're getting anxious or you're pouring yourself a few more drinks so that you can knock that anxiety back, you don't allow for that sacred space for yourself to be, okay, I'm in a new place. I don't understand what's happening. I want to be scared, but I'm going to sit here and maybe with a friend 
and breathe and just allow myself to be here and, and, and ask God to make this a holy place and teach me things that I never would understand before and help me to draw new maps, not rely on the old maps, but to draw new maps and learn a new story, learn a new song. And if you can take the time to do that, that new story, that new song, that new map will then serve you for the next, I don't know, three years, five years, 10 years, and then guess what? It's gonna happen again. One of my favorite scriptures um, is this one from Jeremiah in 29, and, and it's, it's what the prophet Jeremiah says to the people of Israel when they are in exile. They're not where they're supposed to be. They are not in the promised land. They're not kicking butt. They're not expanding. They're not doing all the things they thought they were supposed to do. They are exiles. They're held captives in, uh, the river, by the rivers of Babylon. And basically, God says, that's cool. Just chill right there. This is kind of a liminal passage, right, for the people of Israel who are anxious. And God says, thus says the Lord of hosts, to all I have sent into exile, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Have sons and daughters, multiply there, do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf and for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. If we could find ways in our straight line, upward trajectory souls to allow for these times of cyclical backwardness and, and threshold sitting um, and maybe even plant a house there and just dwell there for a little while and allow God to help us to write a new song, uh, make a new map. Um, we will be blessed by that. But um, that's not necessarily applauded or even uh, encouraged in our society. What we want to do uh, with this basic understanding of some elements of, of um, Celtic Christianity, is to now give you a chance to respond to that. Um, Kristen has put together a handful of different things that you can do to help connect with the earth, connect with your emotions, uh, literally walk in a circle, and she's going to give you, lay those options out to you, and um, yeah, and then we'll see where it goes from there. So whether you are in a new space, in a time of transition, at a threshold, um, we want to take about the next 10 minutes or so to give you a space to sit and just to wait and seek the wisdom that's there. If you can let go of those expectations of what comes next, there really is that place for transformation and for change. Um, and so the way that we're going to invite you to do this is everyone on their table should have um, half sheets of paper that have some questions. Um, you can grab those now or you can wait. Um, but there's a couple of questions about what threshold are you sitting in or standing at the point of right now. And if you are someone who likes to journal or to write, you can spend the next 10 minutes just sitting quietly and reflecting and writing. If you're someone who likes to draw or to get kind of more visually creative, there are markers and uh, colored pencils and paper up here, and you're welcome to respond to those questions using art. Um, but then you have a couple of options to move um, around the room and practice Celtic spirituality. Um, in the gallery space, which is kind of in that room through those doors over here, I guess it's to my left and your right, um, we're going to invite you to do a practice, a Celtic spirituality practice called walking the rounds. So like Paul mentioned, we often think about our lives as kind of moving in a linear fashion. A Celtic spirituality practice called walking the rounds focuses on slowing us down, and you actually walk in a circle. Um, it moves us out of a linear way of thinking, and it also helps us to slow down and to recognize our connection to the earth. With each step we take, we're asking for blessing and for God's presence to surround us. So if you'd like to do that, you can head to the back there um, and just kind of make a circle. There's a little prayer mantra that you can say as you walk. So that's one option. Um, the next is uh, the Celts have um, what they call thin places. 
then places are places, physical places that are sacred and where the, the distance between heaven and earth gets a little bit closer. And ancient Celts used to use cairns, um, a stack of rocks to kind of mark those thresholds. So if you'd like to, after you do your reflection questions, you cannot head up here to the stage and build a cairn, which just means stacking the rocks prayerfully. And then write a word on one of those rocks to remind you to stay in that space. So you may write a word like breathe or pay attention or be present. And you're welcome to take that home with you just to remind you to hold that space. Um, and then the last thing is at the very back, we have some candles on a table. We didn't have time to talk about this, but um, a little bit. Uh, the Celts see uh, God as being in the ordinary and also approaching life out of a place of gratitude. Rather than focusing on what may come, recognizing the gifts you've already been given, you're welcome to go to that back table and to light a candle. There's a number of blessings there, or you're welcome to say your own. So again, there are questions on the table. You can sit and you can write. You can respond with art. And then as you'd like, you can head to each one of the stations or just pick one. We'll have music in the background, and we'll come back together in about 10 minutes. Any questions? All right, so I'm going to invite you, before we get started, if you put your feet on the floor, and if you feel comfortable, you can close your eyes or have a soft gaze. I'm going to give us a quick blessing as we head into this time. Um, I'd invite you just to roll your shoulders back, take a deep breath in, recognize the holiness of the air that's entering your lungs, and then breathe out with some force. Recognizing that in Hebrew, the word for spirit and breath is the same, ruach. And hear this blessing as we begin this time together. This is from John O'Donohue's uh, book, To Bless the Space Between Us. In out-of-the-way places of the heart, where your thoughts never think to wander, this beginning has been quietly forming, waiting until you were ready to emerge. Awaken your spirit to adventure. Hold nothing back. Learn to find ease and risk. Soon you will be home in a new rhythm for your soul senses that the world awaits for you. Friends, let us enter into this time of prayer, reflection, and meditation. So I invite you to uh, finish up at the prayer station or the spiritual practice that you're working on and come back together. We're almost at the end of our evening. And as you find your seats again or as you continue to engage and reflect, I invite you to receive one more blessing. This is On Waking again by John O'Donohue. He writes this blessing. I give thanks for arriving, safely in a new dawn, for the gift of eyes to see the world, the gift of mind to feel at home in my life. 
the waves of possibility breaking on the shore of dawn, the harvest of the past that awaits my hunger, and all the furtherings this new day will bring. Thank you.